Welcome to Ed's Edge, the podcast to help you live the life you've always wanted. I want to give you an edge, a financial edge. I'm Ed Meek. I'm a financial advisor with a passion to help you retire early, save more, and live better. It's often the little things, small behaviors, that can change our lives. That's the power of a financial edge. Cryptocurrency and Blockchain 101. The purpose for this podcast today is to help all of you hopefully learn a little bit more about cryptocurrency. Some of you might have heard of blockchain. It's connected with cryptocurrency, kind of peeling back the onion to differentiate what they are. What I wanted to do today with along with James was help all of you decipher this. We we get a lot of questions from clients, not even clients, I don't know, a lot a lot of friends um who are asking about this. It's something truthfully I haven't known a tremendous amount about and so earlier this uh, summer when we brought in our intern he I I commissioned him to do a lot of research on this to help all of us in the company because it's just not an area that we're um, experts in by by any means. And so after doing that, uh, Ryan, the intern, did a great job of helping us. We decided to say, hey, you know, we know that a lot of investors would like to learn more about this. And a good friend of mine, Tom Agard, who works for a company in town here, that represents uh, a fund called BLOK is the symbol by Amplified Funds. He knows a tremendous amount about this. So I thought, let's bring in Tom. So we have Tom, we have James, and myself. Tom, welcome. Thank you very much, Ed. It's an honor to be here. So Tom and I go way back. I, I don't know what year it was, Tom, but uh, I was a little younger, but still kind of old. You were probably in high school, right? We Middle met school, at- I think. Middle school. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> wow, you re- really were young, and and you still are compared to me. But uh, uh, I, Tom and I got to know each other a little bit at church. I uh, led a Bible study he was a part of. He's a great guy. I know him and his family, and so uh, really appreciate you coming in today, Tom. What we wanted to do was just, why don't you give us a little background on you, and, and why are we talking to you about this space? Yeah, absolutely. Again, thanks for having me. A little background into why I'm here. So I, I'm, I work with uh, Amplify ETFs. We're a boutique ETF sponsor out of Wheaton, Illinois. Um, I was one of the first tires um, back in 2015 or 16. Um, we have about $5 billion, just a little under $5 billion in assets. And our maybe third fund that we launched was this block fund, ticker symbol BLOK. Um, so we're, I'm regularly immersed in this cryptocurrency blockchain um, world and and discussing it on a, you know, daily basis and researching it. Um, so I thought it'd be useful to help provide some context to understanding this really complex universe. You know, Tom, as as crypto's gotten more and more popular, uh, especially lately, there are a lot of different avenues of which you can invest in in crypto, and 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 not just by opening up a Coinbase account and all those specific areas. But when I, you know, a couple of weeks back, I was golfing with some friends, and you know, uh, they had mentioned, "Yeah, hey, James, you're a financial advisor. What do you think of cryptocurrency?" And I had to be honest, I you know, I didn't have enough 
background, enough true education to feel confident in answering. So uh, that's why we're passing the buck to you today. Um, let's start off with a really simple question for our listeners out there is, is in, in simple form, what is cryptocurrency? It's a great, simple question that I, I wouldn't say is a, a simple answer. So blockchain is kind of the software that, that powers cryptocurrencies. So there, a lot of people use them interchangeably, um, but that wouldn't be accurate. Um, but, but cryptocurrency does need blockchain uh, in order to, to survive. Uh, blockchain does not need cryptocurrency, if that's a unique um, clarification I can make. But essentially, cryptocurrency is a peer-to-peer electronic cash system um, that is powered by blockchain. Uh, it started in 2000, October, I believe, of 2008, um, when there was an anonymous paper published by uh, Satoshi Nakamoto or something like that. Um, still so no one necessarily knows where he came from or any of the details about him, but he published this white paper, um, which I, th- I think we'll reference for you guys in a couple different ways. And it it described a few ideas, which uh, digital currencies was a concept uh, in terms of speculation that existed before this, but but was not accessible, I guess. It was an idea. It was a concept uh, up until this point, as were this idea of smart contracts, things of that sort. Uh, this white paper and then the software in um, blockchain.org or, or bitcoin.org was created right after this white paper was released and thus the first investable universe of cryptocurrencies through Bitcoin uh, and the use of blockchain, the first use case of the blockchain technology uh, began. Um, and uh, that white paper was sent out to a handful of cryptographers or people who have been studying and researching in that space, and it kind of organically grew from there. I would say not too dissimilar from kind of how the internet started in, in kind of these weird conceptual ideas, and then it just began to grow through coders and people that kind of had an interest in that space and has now evolved to kind of the broader market um, Clarifying questions. That's, that was that's kind a good. Of an that's a good answer. analogy. So, Bitcoin is the big one that people are familiar with. It's the original one. The, but cryptocurrency is a much bigger universe now. What's the reason uh, why there's other cryptocurrencies? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a nice illustration um, for understanding this is essentially describing the internet in the early 90s. If you would have asked someone, hey, what is the internet? They would have likely said, uh, it's email or it's a web browser. And they wouldn't have been wrong, but that's a small aspect of what the internet is. And that's one application. Example right now, Bitcoin is one kind of the most used or most popular application of the blockchain technology. Uh, to your point, Ed, I think there are like 6,000 different cryptocurrencies. Um, Holy cow. Of those 6,000, I think 10 are, you know, people would maybe recognize, you know, for the uh, kind of layer un, uneducated in this space, probably three or four uh, with cryptocurrency, Ether, Ripple, 
um, now more recently Dogecoin. But the difference is there's um, the the process is thinking of them as actual blocks, and it's a it's a like digital contract in which there's an algorithm that's created, and the person who solves that algorithm gets that coin. And we've seen that most recently with or most regularly with Bitcoin. So there are miners out there who who have these rigs or computers that are built to just run algorithms constantly. They just run and run and run and try to solve them. And if they solve that block, that one is completed. It becomes immutable and it is verified by all the others mining it. They're incentivized to verify and they're obviously incentivized to actually solve the algorithm, which earns them, in this case, a Bitcoin or in a different use case, an Ether coin, or a Doge coin, or a Ripple coin, etc. Got it. And and one of the big draws about crypto in general is this whole concept of decentralized. We hear that all the time. Everything it's decentralized. Walk us through the difference with with how that decentralized piece is so important, and why people are very attracted to the fact that it is quote unquote decentralized. Yeah, so the white paper walks through, uh, this ends up being a, a digital verification of trust, whereas in almost every other aspect uh, in our world, there's a third party that verifies that trust, whether it's a bank, a trustee, a mortgage company, whatever it may be, where there's some sort of contract out there or accounting process, there's a verifier. The software becomes the verifier, so it takes out a third party. The argue in the white paper is a lot of times when there is a third party, there's an opportunity for the individual to be taken advantage of in numerous ways. The benefit here would be the fact that it is decentralized, meaning there's not a third party that it has to go through in order to be verified, and that all these computer miners or rigs are constantly working to, one, verify that the blocks are accurate, and then two, to try to solve the next block, it, it, those, those machines are everywhere. They're not owned by one company, one country, one demographic. And so there's, there's this proposed inherent security in the sense that you're, you don't have a, you know, a, a potential uh, lack of diversification in terms of the governing body or, you know, the, the full faith and credit of the United States or JP Morgan Chase, whatever, that is not built into cryptocurrency. And that that is an inherent aspect of why it was created to, to pull away from that. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I remember uh, I was watching a YouTube clip a while back and they talked about the US dollar and everyone thinks, you know, that's the the bread and butter of our society. And while that still holds true today, it is backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, which certainly scares some people. And so this this kind of avoids any, any third-party provider, like you mentioned, from being involved. Um, it, it's, it's direct consumer-to-consumer transactions this is what I'm hearing. Yep. And, and to clarify, so th- there are a few different um, kind of definitions that we need. When most people talk about Bitcoin or blockchain, the the general understanding and kind of the the big nuance of of what's new in this space is that it's public and that it's decentralized. There are also private centralized blockchain use cases. Say IBM comes out and wants to create a, a better way for communications between companies that uses this blockchain technology. That would be centralized to IBM creating it 
uh, and running through their servers, but it's they could still use this type of software to make uh, different companies more efficient, uh, software more secure, etc. The the most prominent use cases that that's kind of the going back to the internet description. That's more of the intranet. So like say you know the 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 J.P. Morgan Chase banker intranet where they gather data and have the CRM and the, that that's intranet the kind of private um, centralized whereas the internet the much broader all encompassing creative empowering is the public non centralized because that allows anyone to access it it's not dictated by a certain company or entity so those are just kind of clarifying talking points because they do exist privately and publicly centralized and not, but in general, the gist is a decentralized public blockchain. Yeah. Earlier you had mentioned uh, how uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain are certainly connected, but uh, cryptocurrency needs blockchain in order to function, but not vice versa. And so I think you gave us a good example of how blockchain uh, can can work in a way that's not connected what are what are other areas of the blockchain universe um, that exists out there for other people to know? One of the bigger uh, areas that it's catching on is is the kind of fintech industry and transactions. Um, so, an ability to clear a massive transaction doesn't go through a back office, you know, F- Fidelity or Schwab custody account where oddly enough as you know when you're when you're trying to move around money from bank to a bank not not the same bank but a different bank you still have the like one to three business days that you have to wait which is pretty wild in today's well I guess shouldn't be wild we should be more patient but here we are expecting it to be immediate and blockchain now being applied to the financial institutions and those that are utilizing it can that transaction can literally be in a matter of moments. Again, two different entities, it, whereas still today, if you do it not on the blockchain, you can have one to three days for that to actually, that trade to settle and the cash to be in your account because it had to be verified by a third party. Bank A had to verify that that money was in their account, in Mrs. Smith's account, and she's giving that money to Mr. Smith in Bank B. Bank A has to verify that. Bank B also has to verify that. So there's an exchange there that takes place, and they have to do it securely. And that's why, unfortunately, it takes time. Cryptocurrency, or sorry, blockchain, uh, and this and the use of that is kind of eliminating that third party um, intermediary. So fintech is a lot of ways we would see that um, escrow accounts, trust accounts. Um, can be made more efficient. Um, there was a trade uh, using Bitcoin where they, tr- let me see the data. I think it was like 10, 10 billion, um, which would with have- With a B, you're saying. Yes, with a B. Let me find the actual data. Reminds me of Austin Powers. <laughs> which movie? <laughs> million, the million movie or the Correct, billion, yeah. right? <laughs> But there was in one single day, you know, if, if you were to wire this amount of money, $10 billion was wired, was essentially wired or exchanged accounts uh, from from one place to another with $10 billion worth in a single day. And it took about 10 minutes. And the transaction fee or cost of that was about 68 cents. So if you think about that, that would have typically been, you know, ten, potentially a 1% cost for a wire fee. 
and it would take, you know, potentially three days. So that's the way we see massive disruption that's not via cryptocurrency. That was the example, obviously, we utilized, but you're seeing the, the fintech side or the banking side. Um, there's, there's massive disruption. We saw Walmart start utilizing blockchain um, a couple of years back to test it out. They had mangoes that went bad, and obviously they need to identify where exactly those mangoes came from so that they can eliminate all them in their supply chain that are now existing in all these different stores, and they need to trace those back to stop them. So they did their standard process, and it took about 10 days. Again, they're implementing blockchain as a test also to see how this could work in terms of their supply, supply chain management, and it took about an hour to identify the same thing, 10 days versus an hour. Again, supply chain management, fintech, they're ton a ton of applications again it's we're we're very early like, like in the early days of the internet we we can't even predict kind of the use cases or, or what we're going to do or how we're going to utilize it yeah that's the one of the biggest takeaways as you were talking with us earlier about um you know what's what the opportunities are is you know even though this is heavily talked about i think everyone has heard of cryptocurrency and bitcoin and what have you and all the wild volatility that it's had, we're still, you know, in the first or second inning of its capabilities, as, as you talked about the internet in the early 90s versus the internet today and what we use it for. You know, as I'm thinking about um, that, this space, uh, a lot of the concern talks about security and, and how secure are these transactions. No one's verifying it, so that's good, but, uh, you know, it's what makes it secure? And you, you, you had a really good, um, some really good insight as to what what truly makes it a secure transaction. Yeah. So, th to, not to correct you, but to correct the talking, it is being verified. It's being verified by the software and all the machines that are running these algorithms. It's not being verified by a third party, or an individual, or a company. Um, so there is constant verification and the miners and the people that run those mines are incentivized to verify and solve for the next blockchain. So a little clarification there. But and so the what hasn't really changed much is custody. So there's Coinbase accounts. There are these things where you would hold your digital asset. We haven't really caught up yet or changed that. So those are central um, private institutions that could be hacked. So if you hold your account or your, if you hold your Bitcoin at Schwab or wherever it may be, that Schwab is, is hackable in terms of someone can figure out your key that gives you access to your Bitcoin. And if they can hack that, that is obviously where the vulnerability lies. What's interesting is, again, we're in the really early innings. If you look at when the automobile was created, it took about 10 years for the steering wheel to then be created. They actually used the leather turnings like they used on horse reins previously that they just attached to the turning mechanism. But it literally took 10 years for that to exist. So we're in early innings of how this is going to be stored, what we're going to do. The the nice thing with the blockchain is it, it's an individual storage. So if you store your coin in cold storage is something you could talk about, but it, you know, it essentially is a USB that's just yours. The ability to, for someone to hack that, it, there's not a lot of incentive there as opposed to someone to just going to a massive bank where thousands of people store all their assets to potentially be hacked. Until all of those get onto the blockchain and become decentralized, it's, 
it's it's almost incentivizing like a like a thief. Why would you go to a mom and pop and try to steal five dollars when you could go to the bank and steal a million dollars? Um, so we haven't the 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 banks and the storage places are still in the process of figuring out. But blockchain itself has not been hacked to this date, uh, according to all the people you know that are in this space. What has been hacked, or there there has been, is 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 the the places that they store their assets. If that makes sense. Sorry, so, kind of a rabbit trail. But. So banks, historically, would it be fair to say, uh, have been not in favor of this, but it seems like from what I've been reading that they're starting to jump on the bandwagon of cryptocurrency and, and utilizing blockchain, right? Yeah, it's it's funny because not to bad talk them, but there there definitely seems to be talking out of both sides of their mouth because we're we're monitoring this stuff for our fund to see who's who's pouring you know expense and, and revenue into these technologies and things of that sort, and you can see that you know two years ago. Their JP Morgan or these bank entities come out and saying, you know, Bitcoin's a fraud or whatever it may be. It's not an investable asset. Yet at the same time, you saw during those timeframes, they're pouring tons of money into developing their own coin or developing their own blockchain technologies. So in a way, they're definitely see it as as a uh, as a real threat, if nothing else, that they're hedging themselves and beginning to pour um, their own assets into better understanding and creating their own cryptocurrencies to hedge themselves for a change that seems to be inevitable at this point. Here to stay, that sounds like. Yeah. Uh, the blockchain universe, you, you, I think you talked about fintech, um, other areas in that universe that you find interesting? Yeah, I we, we've talked about this offline and it just... The idea, again, I hate, I think it's a useful illustration of going back to the internet. It's really hard to predict in the early days what, what the internet would evolve to and the industries that would come out of it. We talked about the idea of smartphones and, you know, smartphones or, or the benefit of a smartphone wouldn't exist without the internet. No one would want the old brick that, you know, didn't have access to the internet, but now their whole subsectors of industry designed to smartphone use or retail design. You know, you think about things like trying to tell someone in the nineties, like how people were only going to use their smartphones to book, you know, an Airbnb, an industry that didn't exist without the internet, um, things like that. It's really hard to anticipate, um, what is going to come from this? Sorry, but your question is what, what do we think will, Unique, yeah, just, unique places. Um, or, yeah, I was just curious what you thought were some interesting, you know, yeah. uses of blockchain that you thought were pretty cool that yeah. you've seen. The NFTs or non-fungible token, I think it's really interesting. It, it's essentially creating a, a very unique non-fungible, meaning non-replicable. So a, a unique digital entity or file or token. Um, which could tie to art, uh, digitizing the art selling process, or to make digital baseball cards or collectibles, anything like that, that it would make a very unique, you know, kind of thumbprint signature digitally to a specific item, whether it invested, whether it existed in the physical world or not. Um, and what could come from that, I think, is, is really interesting. Again, that would be for, you know, potentially art or collectibles, um, they're internet gaming places that 
there's a unique conundrum of say I'm relatively unfamiliar with this world, but say you play World of Warcraft and you got this character who has a specific sword or something. That sword doesn't exist anywhere but that game. But if you create a non fungible token, the individual, the gamer who created the strength and the whatever of that sword is unique and they could create a token based off of that and they could sell it to someone outside of the gaming world through an eBay or their own entity where they could sell, you know, non-physical assets that have a very unique print, I guess, if that makes yeah. sense. So that it, it's hard to anticipate where it'll go. I think supply chain and fintech are the big two things we'll see right away. And then from there, I think it's going to get really interesting. The nice thing with a public decentralized blockchain is it, it empowers literally anyone that has internet access to create either a coin or utilize the blockchain technology to their unique creative benefit. And you only need two parties. So it could be me and a buddy sitting in a basement like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna use blockchain and create a coin that every time we watch a show, uh, this algorithm hits and a coin is produced, whatever it may be. That's really abstract or weird. But the aspect is now that it's powered by the internet and so much of the world has access to that via a smartphone or something else, the creativity is unfathomable in terms of where we could go from here and how it could be used. Wow. Yeah. It's mind blowing. Kind of just think it sounds like, you know, in five or 10 years, as you alluded to, it's going to be something we, we can't even imagine. People will come up with many different ways of doing it. So it really is kind of in this first, second, third inning, super early. Um, and uh, in a space that sounds like it's going to grow incredibly. I guess what I would want to ask you is, is if someone wants to learn more about this space, you know, what do you think is the best resource or resources uh, to be able to learn about this? Yeah, so it, it, there's a lot to learn. And even those who I would consider probably the most well-versed in the space would be the first to tell you like they're constantly learning and they can't read enough because so it's, it's evolving all the time. Um, and it's, you know, people's creativity are taking it in different directions. Um, there's a the CFA uh, Institute Research Foundation um, put out a 62, 65 page, something like that, primer on crypto assets. So pretty short, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, is the longest read I've had in a while. <laughs> um, but it's it's a good, you know, I have a financial background, so I guess I might have some uh, hooks to kind of set this knowledge on or in place. But I, I think that's a good use case. It took me a handful of times to read through it and, and start to um, kind of make sense of some of it. There are a lot of YouTube videos. There's this Anton, last name's like Antronopoulos or something like that. He's out of the UK, but um, I can show you information there. But he does a lot of informational um, kind of intro to Bitcoin, how it works, cryptocurrencies. I'd say that CFA research piece and then the Satoshi white paper, which was the inception of all this, are, are probably the two starting points would be useful. Cool. Yeah, most definitely. Well, we, we appreciate all the insight, Tom. And, you know, I, I, my takeaway from from listening to all the wisdom you have here is, you know, this space is here to stay. It is not a fad. And and for those who are still confused, we, we get it. You know, there, there is there's this space. I think the Internet example that you said is perfect. We didn't know what it was. We just knew it, it, we were onto something big. Now, 
time will tell, future will tell what that holds. But it's it's important that we have some education, all of us, around this. Because if it does become the next big thing, again, we, we're not trying to make a prediction here, but if it does become the next big thing, um, we're going to want to be well-equipped to understand it and, and, and talk to everyone about it. Not just in the investing world like what we do, but with our children, you know, who are going to be using it uh, tremendously. So appreciate the time. Uh, again, really good insight you shared with us here today. Thanks, Tommy. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys. It was an honor to be here. So with all that said, Ed, um, I'm hungry. What, uh, what, what do we got for food for thought today? Um, we're taping this in the morning and you're hungry already, huh? Yeah, I'm starving. Didn't eat breakfast. All right. Okay, well, what I wanted to do was uh, introduce... I just came across um, this great chef recently. I was introduced to him. He, uh, I follow him now on Facebook, uh, Chef Billy Parisi. And I came across a couple of recipes of his. I was searching and searching for uh, various recipes. And uh, the second, uh, we're going to do another podcast after this with uh, some portfolio managers of the fund that Tom's connected to. And so I made a meal uh, that uh, consisted of a great steak and then a, a great potato dish. It's called potato lyonnaise. Um, and it's uh, it's this these potatoes with these uh, onions and with a little bit of vinegar. It sounds kind of funky and funny, but I said to uh, Catherine uh, yesterday uh, that there weren't any potatoes left. I did mention the steak. I was like, you know, what do you think of the steak? She goes, oh, the steak is great, but uh, I thought the potatoes were even better. So uh, both of them are great. I'm going to provide both recipes at the end of each podcast. So enjoy and let me know what you think. Sounds great. Well, appreciate everyone for listening. And uh, again, stay tuned for part two when we're going to dig a little deeper into the investing side of, of blockchain and cryptocurrency. So stay tuned. Thanks so much. I have been slapped on my hand one too many times by my compliance attorney. This is to put me in good standing. This podcast represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time, should not be relied upon as investment advice, and is not intended to predict or depict performance of any investment. Any specific recommendations or comparisons that are made as to particular securities or strategies are for illustrative purposes only and are not meant as investment advice for any viewer.